Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte. And Willa Walsh. And Reagan Skaggs. And you're listening to... Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We envision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good this summer. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. Theme music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. And we have a very special guest with us today, Liz Werfel, Liz <laughs> the co-director of the Welcome Project with Allison. She teaches at Valpo University, very active in community groups in Valpo, and even ran for city council. Welcome, Liz. Hey. Thank you. Liz. Thank you. Glad to be here. <laughs> All right, so today we're going to deviate from our typical format a little bit. So um, what we are going to do, since it is the one-year anniversary of the show, (laughs) instead of playing an audio story from the Welcome Project archive like we typically would and then have a discussion about that story, we're going to review... Um, kind of the work from the previous year and ask some questions about the Welcome Project and what it aims to do. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first things first, uh, what would you guys say exactly is the Welcome Project, just to get right in there? Liz, you get to speak first (laughs) because, you know, we don't get to have you on that often. I feel like over the years we have changed the way we talk about it a number of times. Um, But a, a story collection that is community-based, regionally-based, and um, and then those stories are used to have conversation about who we are. Do you want to talk a little bit about the history? I mean, I don't know that we've ever really formally introduced our listeners to the Welcome Project. Um, so if you wanted to start with, like, where the idea was born, mm. like what it was born out of. Yeah. Sure. So um, it's... We're now a decade old. Yeah. <laughs> We're so old. <laughs> uh, so a decade ago, I had just come back to Valpo after three semesters in China. Um, the university had sent me there to uh, teach Chinese students alongside a counterpart, and then those Chinese students would uh, potentially matriculate into our undergraduate or graduate programs. So when I came back, I knew a lot of our Chinese students, and um, one day, one of those students Uh, came up to me and said, hey, I want to tell you this story about what happened to me the other night. Uh, I don't need you to do anything about it. I just need to share it. And he said that he had been walking along Chapel Drive late at night. Um, A car drove up next to him. Guys rolled down their windows and shouted uh, obscenities at him, which I won't repeat on the radio because we don't have a bleep button. (laughs) Uh, But it was about his national origin. And um, he's, you know, he said to me that he expect he he expected something like this might happen in the United States, just given the United States, but that uh, he didn't realize how scared he would feel because it was dark, and in the United States you can own guns, which is not true in China. And um, it, that was an interesting cultural moment where I think, um, you know, we just take it for granted that. Uh, People, people can have guns. I, you know, I don't think about it on a day-to-day basis, but it certainly becomes relevant when it's late at night, when you're in a, a place you're not used to, and when someone is yelling terrible things at you. Um, I saw it. So he was having that realization. Uh, anyway, uh, I did end up sharing it with our diversity concerns committee at the time, and uh, ask them what do you guys think about collecting these stories uh, and and stories generally to kind of help us understand the climate of our campus and community and they thought that was a good idea and said do it (laughs) so I I turned to Allison and I was like hey how about this idea and Allison said good idea do it (laughs) I'm not gonna I'm not jumping on board Actually, and it wasn't that I didn't want to jump on board, but I felt at the time that um, I had uh, a lot on my plate already in terms of whatever I was doing for my creative work and research, blah, blah, blah. Um, But that fall, I taught CORE, which is the university's first year program um, for incoming students. It's a reading and writing intensive class. And... um, 
I was showing a documentary. It's called Two Million Minutes, if people know it. And it follows three families. One is Indian, one is Chinese, and one is American. Um, and in one of the scenes in the Indian family, they're having dinner around the table. And the daughter um, gets fed some food by her mother. But her mother, like, scoops up the rice from the banana leaf and, like, feeds her daughter um, from her hand, from her fingers. And, like, there's this eruption that happens in one corner of the room. I was like, what is going on over there? And I didn't address it at the time. Like, I didn't stop the documentary. But I wanted to go back to it the next class period and ask them, like, you know, what was happening? Like, what what were you doing? Like, what reaction were you having? And they were just like, that's just weird. And it's just, like, wrong. And when I asked them to try to talk about like why do you feel that way like do Americans not eat food with their hands they're like well no but like her mother fed her I I don't know I mean they just couldn't really articulate what this gut reaction was coming out of and this was the first incoming class for the new strategic plan which at that point we were supposed to be growing our enrollment by increasing the diversity of our student body, both with international students and students of color, uh, American students of color. So I was like, wow, if this is the incoming class and we're only gonna get more diverse and we don't even know how to talk about our reaction to difference, then this the campus is gonna need some help. <laughs> so I went back to Liz and I was like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> Yeah, in the meantime, I had worked with um, uh, one of our Chinese graduate students to start video interviews, and um, so she ended up uh, specifically focusing on international students who are Chinese and their experience in the classrooms, on campus, in the community. And so it was interesting because we had a real mix of positive and negative and all sorts in between stories that uh, spanned campus, spanned kind of interactions downtown that were um, not friendly. And that was the first time we had a a sample of these kinds of stories that we then pretty quickly um, understood that we could use in different ways on campus to talk about belonging like when do we feel like we belong to a place and when do we feel like we don't belong and our lovely friend Elizabeth Lynn um, she had uh, spearheaded the Center for Civic Reflection which had this facilitation model which she was like oh you guys should go through the training for this and use this facilitation practice with these stories which in their practice they're called objects like they might use a poem or a short story uh, or a photograph and in our case it was video and audio so we just right away started um, hosting facilitated conversations using the stories which was really a great experience for us Um, and I think for the participants just listening deeply to what the storyteller is telling and kind of trying to get into their shoes rather than our own perspective of it like well what is that storyteller really saying Um, so we had some really lovely lovely conversations early on with that practice which we have kept through to today. You're listening to WVLP, and this is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio. I'm Allison Schutte, and I'm here with co-hosts Willow Walsh and Reagan Skaggs, and today we actually also have the co-director of the Welcome Project with us, Liz Werfel. We're super excited to have you with us, Liz, and uh, Listen Up is celebrating its year-end show today. It's hard to believe, Willow, that we've actually (laughs) been on the air for a whole year, and yet here we are. I'm going to take over for a minute, Reagan, and just ask the two of you, like, how did you, separately, of course, like, how did you hear about the Welcome Project? And then, like, how would you describe your early experiences or your experiences broadly with the project? Um, I think for me, I I remember being in core with Professor Danger, and I think that I had written, I don't know, like, some stories about, I don't know, maybe, like, I, I guess it's this sort of, like, this, I don't know, maybe it's like a liberal commentary of like living in Valpo, but being really frustrated that people aren't mm-hmm. super welcoming. And so I think like some of that sparked for Professor Danger and she was like, I think you should check out the Welcome Project. I think you would actually really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and that's actually how I went to your class for the first time, Judy. So, and yeah, I don't know, for me, I didn't know what it was at all, but I was like, oh, that's a fun name, Welcome Project. I don't know what that means, but, um, and then, 
I think like right off the bat, I still didn't know what the Welcome Project was, but Shudi, you told me, you were like, hey, you should go to this uh, Center for Civic Reflection training. And I was like, okay, lit. And I still didn't know what it was until I got there. But um, I remember, yeah, it was like a super cool experience just learning how to have those types of conversations, like with the objects, Liz, like you were saying. Um, and I don't know, I just like got super into it. And I think, I think there was like a, a facilitation that happened in a church in Gary, like right at the very beginning. Um, like, I think this was like my sophomore year and you guys just like brought me along. This was like the first yeah, time I was meeting Jessica, Liz, I think. Maybe? Yeah. Uh huh. And, um, and then you guys played the stories about like from flight paths that were about like reflections on mm-hmm. Gary. And like, that was the point that like blew my freaking mind because it was just like, you know, it's just like, it's like nobody talks about Gary in that way. It's just like, it's a, it's a subject that people kind of dance around or have these sort of negative opinions about, but it's like, if you Google it, you can't really like figure out like what, what's up, you know, you're just like, oh, is this sort of like a Rust Belt town type of thing? So I just, after hearing the stories, I was like, wow, this is like super like divided like people's perceptions of Gary are super divided on like racial lines and I I I guess I didn't really know like kind of how far this story of Gary went and so I I was hooked from there I was like heck yeah I need to know more about this (laughs) (laughs) and you've been with us ever since (laughs) (laughs) and then I think so then I think I had an internship like for the welcome project and then I had a facilitated conversation and like I think I had like three people who came to my conversation and Reagan was one of them and there was like these two like super conservative dudes <laughs> who are like because I played like the the we played this on the show before the the flight paths chorus like talking about like kind of like this the disinvestment of Gary and like white flight and and they they sort of echoed this idea of like well they should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and figure it out themselves why isn't Gary doing anything and Reagan was like the only naysayer who was like <laughs> actually and so we were vibing the whole time <laughs> yeah yeah um no, it, this was my sophomore year, and this was a core event, but I was one of those very lame upperclassmen. Uh, for people that don't know, at Valparaiso, core events are uh, part of the core course, like Allison was talking the about. Freshman. Yeah, the yeah. freshman reading and writing intensive course. And part of that is you go to outside events of on campus that are, now I think they have to be core approved. Um, and then you you have those experiences. Well, I really liked going to those my freshman <laughs> year, so I kept going, and I met Willow my sophomore year, and I went to this facilitated conversation, and I thought it was so cool, and I didn't understand why everyone else didn't see this story the same way that I saw it. I remember specifically, it was, I don't remember the name of the story, but it was specifically about a church in Gary um, that had been kind of abandoned by its original, I think, Armenian uh churchgoers or something along those lines um and that was like blanking on that one (laughs) (laughs) i just remember because there was a girl there too and she was yeah yes well she was no there was another one and she was of whatever ethnicity had been a part of that church and she's like well i have had family members who have been from gary and that's why i think gary is bad and i remember because we had a one-on-one conversation her and i and i remember talking to her about that and being like okay but yeah, so a facilitated conversation was like, why don't you just show up to a meeting? And I said, okay, I'll show up to a meeting. And I did. And uh, just like Willow says, you guys are really good about being like, all right, you're here. Let's do something about it. <laughs> so We've got a project for you. Oh, yeah. Quickly got involved from there. Um, tagged along with you guys with a, a fair amount of other projects and done a lot of facilitated conversation. Yeah. And have had a great time the whole time. Do you think it would be interesting to talk about the name Welcome Project, because we don't really ever get a chance to talk about that anymore. But it was something that we thought a lot about at the beginning. I mean, we thought about it so long that we never came up with a main name, which is why that <laughs> was our name. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like when you get a, a, a dog from the from the shelter and they come with a name and you're like, is that your name? Mm-hmm. Or do you have another name? And then you can't think of a name, so then that's the name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or you get a cat off the street, and that cat's name is just Cat, right? right. Because you never right. decided. Right. Do you remember? Do you remember some of the other names that you were considering? Oh, oh not at all. Not I mean, all. so I think in talking about why we struggled with the name Welcome, maybe some might come to mind. But I, I know that we were dissatisfied with that term because it felt like if we were inviting people it seemed like we had ownership of like campus and then anybody who was 
coming in was welcome, but like on the terms that were already there. And we wanted something that felt more reciprocal. Because I think in the work, I could be projecting backwards now, but certainly in, in the work that I've done around diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's often this idea that diversity is, you know, uh, getting the people in the room and celebrating the difference that's there without a lot of thought about what inclusion actually means, where the institution itself or a community itself will be changed by the people who make it up. And so um, I think Falpo has struggled with this to this day of understanding that it's it's not just about, um, you know, if you invite them and they come, they assimilate <laughs> to your culture, uh, or at least what I would have us aspire to is how can we be changed by who is now making up our campus? Um, and so welcome felt like too much like host um, versus like host guest versus something more community. Yeah, I mean, it came out of that initial idea of like the campus ought to be a welcoming and inclusive space. Um, but I think pretty quickly for me at least I once we started collecting more stories it was like no it's welcome to my story and mm-hmm. so it's a different kind of it mm-hmm. made that shift which is um, it's not about any one of us or the campus or the community welcoming you all them they like it's much more about I the storyteller sharing my story with whoever is listening so welcome to, to my story you're listening to WVLP. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio. Uh, I'm Allison Schutte, and I'm here today with co-hosts Willow Walsh and Reagan Skaggs and Liz Werfel, co-director of the Welcome Project. We're celebrating uh, Listen Up's year-end show, and so we thought it would be fun to break from our format a bit and talk somewhat about the history of the Welcome Project and also then reflect on why a radio show and and what what's happened and what are we interested in about this past year mm-hmm. yeah well let's let's crawl a little bit forward so you guys i think still collect stories from campus um now and mm-hmm. again um but from campus you guys moved on to the invisible project so how did that happen what did that look like yeah so we had um a couple of area nonprofits that worked in homelessness and affordable housing approach us um actually i think they approached amy thomasek or someone else on campus who said oh you should talk to the welcome project <laughs> uh, because they wanted a way to help the community understand that porter county does have homelessness it's not the homelessness that you stereotypically think of like in an urban environment where you might cross a path with someone who's uh, asking for change or um, you know sleeping under a bridge like all of those assumptions that we have about what homelessness looks like and so they were really saying it's it's invisible um, and it's the person before you or behind you in the grocery line Um, so I think that right away we were really interested in oh what is you know how, how can our practice help share this important story Um, And they had specific clients that had all experienced homelessness at one point or another who then um, went through, whether it was Housing Opportunities or Gabriel's Horn, um, a couple of the other uh, shelters and transitional housing organizations in the area, uh, had, you know, matriculated through their program and uh, were willing to share their stories. So I think we had 15 or so uh, people, is that right? it It was more like eight or nine at least in the end, okay. even though we had more yeah. than one story from each interview. Yeah. Um, so we, we did our practice where we interviewed them at length and then edited those stories down and then worked with the Porter County Museum in order to create a mobile exhibit that toured Porter County and actually went over into Lake County a bit too. Um, and so it had statistics, information about the, the, the uh, nonprofits and um, information about the history of homelessness in the area and then also had tablets and audio stations where you could listen to the stories or watch them which are also hosted on our website welcomeproject.valpo.edu <laughs> great plug great plug <laughs> um, yeah so that was great and actually housing opportunities still has uh, a portion of the exhibit that they bring out uh, when they uh, have a public event and to help with like fundraising and stuff too yeah 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 
Yeah, and I don't know if it's worth talking about the exhibit that that was designed by you and Jake Justin, Megan Megan Tellegman. It was super cool because it was frames, like housing-like structures, and then they would like all collapse and fit on top of each other in order to be mobile. So it really was a a definitely an example of the form and content. um, Yeah, we were trying to think both in terms of practical nature of moving this exhibit around but then many of the homeless people we interviewed or people who had experienced homelessness uh, were homeless either through couch surfing or in their cars overnight in parking lots so we're like well can this whole thing fit in a car and what Mm -hmm. does it mean to have Mm -hmm. an exhibit of kind of framed out homes that aren't really built uh, but have all this content uh, fit into one vehicle and and go around yes it's good good design was and for folks that might not have listened to some of our episodes around uh the invisible project stories um like liz you had mentioned like it doesn't homelessness in porter and lake county doesn't necessarily look like it does in chicago like would you mind giving like a little bit of a a, i don't know if this is like a good word but like a summation maybe of like what that experience can typically look like in porter county yeah, I mean, one of the things I think we found is that it is, like all of the interviews we've collected, unique to the person, uh, but then that there are these kind of, I guess, themes that emerge that cross over. And in some cases, that might be um, having had a really rough childhood and uh, basically needing to become an adult before you're even an adult and having to care for other family members in ways that I think is costly and not, you know, uh, juggling school and and work at the same time. Um, In other cases, it it was around substance abuse or uh, I think very often mental health um, crises that ended up, I think, making it difficult to stay in a stable housing situation. Uh, But a lot of interrelational dynamics, um, some abuse... Uh, or yeah. just not having family support, right? Um, which so many of us do actually take for granted. Yeah, that was actually a really interesting moment for us as interviewers uh, because our standard kind of go-to questions to get people talking is like, oh, tell me about where you were born and where you were raised and the, the place you grew up in up. and what was your family like. And all of those can be really triggering questions for some people, which... You know, we, um, I think, learned pretty quickly through that process that a question like, tell me about your parents uh, or your siblings um, can can be tough. Yeah, and I think um, the other kind of takeaway to to answer your question, Willow, is it's not always that um, homelessness doesn't look visibly, but I feel like the stories we collected counter a lot of the assumptions people make about the moral character of homeless people who experience homelessness. Like they, there's a, a really strong assumption that there's you did something wrong, you messed up in some way, otherwise you'd be fine. And in all of the cases, there's conditions, whether it's like a, a home life that that didn't care for you as a young child or it's things that compound on a a life that was a middle-class norm (laughs) and suddenly like Like the economy takes a downturn and losing your husband right yeah or or disability for one of the partners and then the other person um you know they they, they lose hours at the job because of the economic recession and then they're struggling to have enough money to to uh, for gas to get to you know, it's just like um, these are not things that are reflective of a person's moral character at all and in fact um, they could happen to any of us and we don't we don't typically think about that we, we just assume that if we've done things right then we're going to be safe or protected to a certain extent um, and so I think that was a really strong lesson that even if for even if it's a homeless, someone who's experiencing homelessness in Chicago, that same lesson applies. It's not, it's not just that we don't look like homeless Chicago. It's, it's actually that you should look deeper into the causes and circumstances that lead somebody to be homeless, um, 
as opposed to making assumptions about their, their moral character. I saw a tweet that was like, some people vote as if we're closer to being millionaires when in reality we're much closer to being homeless. We're a job away, a medical bill away from being in that position. <laughs> but I think, I think widely enough we do, like, I feel like I carried that belief in high school. Like, yeah, I mean, that's not going to happen to me. <laughs> well, that's what you're led to believe, yeah. right? Like, that's yeah. what you're, as an American at least, you're, yeah. you're raised to believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like the pandemic and the... Yeah, I feel like the pandemic has brought the tenuous uh, uh, security, tenuousness of security to a heightened level for many, many Americans. Not all, of course, but more people are aware. So to bring it back a little bit, uh, this is something I'm really curious about is both for the Welcome Project or the Invisible Project, but the Welcome Project as a whole is how do you guys find or select people to interview like with the invisible project was it all volunteers and then with um your welcome past like campus life was that volunteers also is it you heard something and asked somebody what does that process look like yeah it's kind of been a a blend um and as with all things welcome project an organic process um so that initial uh Chinese student Vicki Liu who interviewed her classmates um and fellow Chinese uh international students that was her friend group, right? She was going to. Um, and then uh, every time we've had an intern or a group of students working through a class on it, uh, it's it's folks they know. Or I mean, you're when you had it in your class, it was did you have did you have constraints on who they could? I mean, I interview? would I would encourage them to go outside their comfort zone as as far as they would. So I, I think a lot of students if it was an assignment in a class, would actually try to potentially know, there's maybe somebody on their floor or somebody in their dorm um, had piqued their interest or when we would have a conversation in class about like who's not represented yet and then students would start to think about how they could go and identify a student that would fall into that group. Um, so some of it was a little bit more like go out and seek um, but some students would opt for people they knew. Yeah, and we've had people come to us saying, I want to be interviewed. Um, And then we've had people come to us saying, this person should be interviewed. Uh, And we usually say, great, you want to interview them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or, you know, add them them to our ever-growing list. Um, When we moved into the flight paths, project that was more intentional on our part Uh, so first it was people who we knew um, or who were recommended to us and um, and then it's almost every interview we especially early on we would ask who else should we be talking to and we would usually get two or three names at that point and then kind of head to that group next and then ask the same thing Um, And then over time, it's also been as that project really expanded, it's always looking at the gaps, like what are we missing? Um, In some cases, that's around ethnicity or socioeconomics or location. Like in Gary, it was often about, well, we have several from this neighborhood, but we don't have anybody from this other neighborhood that keeps getting referenced. Um, Or this neighborhood isn't even being talked about, why not? Uh, So we were very clear about saying, okay, do you know anybody in Aetna, or do you know anybody in Horace Mann, or do you know anybody in Glen Park? Um, So that that helped. Uh, But yeah, it's kind of a a mixture of all of those things. I think we still do see gaps, like the one that keeps coming to me around uh, uh, flight paths is the the environmental piece Mm -hmm. and the environmental tolls that the uh, industrial corridor has taken on I mean there, there certainly are also environmental tolls the agricultural section sector has taken on our land um, but then also um, speaking of our land uh, in indigenous stories which we don't uh, have uh, at least that we know of uh, to date so I think that that would be both two directions that that project could go yeah I just heard on a podcast this land which is very much worth listening to if anyone is interested in a podcast recommendation they've started season two and um i won't go into all the details but uh there's like some lawsuits that were going around to try to change the um the legislation that would keep indian children in indian families and there's states that are state attorney 
attorneys general that are trying to overturn that uh, for complicated reasons. Um, but Indiana is one of the states that like signed on to that. Um, but we have such a small, small, small percentage of indigenous people in our state. And to speak to the gaps, like I don't fully understand why that is yet. Um, I think some of it is that the Potawatomi people were um, uh, nomads, so there wasn't necessarily settlements in the same way, but I think there was also, well, I'm sure that government policies about marching Native Americans uh, west is also part of our history. So I, I don't know like how, how many indigenous people we could actually interview or if we would need to find somebody to speak on their behalf. Um, so yeah, that's that's a big a gap too. It's also interesting to think about the environment and who can speak for the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I know Indiana also doesn't recognize the uh, indigenous uh, tribes here. So like Potawatomi, Miami, and I think there's another one also okay. that technically could lay claim to Indiana, but Indiana doesn't recognize them. So that might be part of it, also. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, sorry. No, so, oh, uh, by the way, oh. <laughs> this is WVLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso. And you're here with me, Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh and Reagan Skaggs and Liz Werfel. And today, this is Listen Up's year-end show. So we have switched up the format in order to have more of a conversation about how the Welcome Project came to be, where we've gone, and also just talking about the radio show itself and what we think it's why why we're doing it <laughs> yeah so we've touched on flight paths a couple of times why don't we do a little deep dive into that and uh what that is uh well um this came about through a couple of different intersecting events which as liz said like everything with the welcome project has been pretty organic um in some community conversations with white people, we were hearing stories of families leaving Gary, and there was, uh, depending on who we were talking to, uh, times resentment about being forced to leave their home. Um, and then we were also hearing stories often from students, and often black students, about coming uh, to Valparaiso University from Gary and all the stereotypes that they were encountering around coming from that city. Um, and so we started to wonder about like what's what's going on here? Like what's the underlying story beneath that? And at the same time, we were being encouraged by our administration to get funding, external funding for our project. <laughs> And um, public humanities became something that seemed like a good avenue. And that meant, or that entailed uh, a history and evoking the history and the geography. And so um, I think that what we started to find as we moved into like, well, what is the history of Gary? We began to think about like, how could we be capturing the memories of residents who stayed or who left or who moved within Gary um, to try to uncover like how do you, how did people understand what was happening um, in Gary basically from like the 60s on um, I mean we do have some reflections on Gary's founding in the early 20th century but a lot of our stories really focus on uh, the build-up to Hatcher's election with the rise of the civil rights movement in Northwest Indiana um, and then the backlash from that, which included um, white flight to the suburbs. Did I miss anything? I zoned out. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to admit that on the air. Nobody could see you. <laughs> I don't know if you know, but we are live. <laughs> Whoops. No. Okay. So flight paths, which is wonderful, by the way. If you, I mean, you guys play a lot of them here on this lovely That's radio true. show. That's but um, if you, as a listener, haven't listened to very many flight paths story, you should. Um, I which you can find at welcomeproject.valpo.edu. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that tends to be a lot of what your guys' um, projects and conversations at this moment in time uh, surround. Yeah. Uh, so we have the beautiful Flight Plus Initiative. So how did we get to the radio show and the podcast? 
Yeah, is that is that me or is that you, Willow? Um, I feel like that was you because I feel like I, I did my thing that I always do, which is you guys are like, you want to do this thing? And I'm like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Paul Schreiner's. I think Paul actually was like, Liz, do a radio show. And I was like, Allison. <laughs> A radio you, show. You've always wanted to extend the conversation around the stories. That was true. That was true. So do a radio show. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, both of us, you and I, Liz, are avid podcast listeners. And so I'd always thought about it in that vein. Like, what would it look like to have a, a Welcome Project podcast? And it didn't ever seem like there was time to kind of get it going. Um, and I was on sabbatical. That... <laughs> got to be careful what you take on in sabbatical because it lasts, you know, like beyond when you're on sabbatical. Um, I don't, I don't mean that though, like in any sense, because this has been a a joy, but um, yeah. So answering Paul's call to have more shows on the radio. And um, since Liz was like, I'm maxed out, I, you know, was like, okay, well, we've got other people that can host this show. And I thought of Willow immediately because you always say yes, um, <laughs> and you are in the family. I mean, I don't even think of you as not Welcome Project. I wish we could like, <laughs> I wish we could like pay staff. We don't have any money, so um, we don't do that. But if we did, you would be getting some funds from us. Um, yeah. So it seemed like okay. Let's talk about. Um, how we could use the space. We started out thinking of it as a 30-minute, mm-hmm. um, uh, like, spread uh, time period. And that was you. You were quickly like, uh-uh, this is... Oh, I have I have way more than 30 minutes <laughs> of dialogue. <laughs> um, I think, and I do, I think we aspire to be able to include more people having conversations with us about the story. Um we were talking about this before we went on the air. Uh, listeners were not yet ready to answer telephones yet, just because the technology is a little intimidating. But it's been great to bring Reagan on, and Reagan, we now consider you a co-host. I, I hope that <laughs> better you will... not go anywhere. <laughs> Stuck now. So we are expanding, you know, the people who do talk with us. But um, it has been really interesting to try to think about, like, what are we doing actually? Because you and I, Willow, enjoy so much talking period (laughs) um and then like to really listen into the stories and try to understand the storyteller and then think about some of the broader themes and concerns that that raises for us either as individuals or as a campus or a city community um and we've been playing a little bit with like how broad how far afield do we go from like the original story so Sometimes, like I think last week when we talked about feminism, <laughs> we went pretty far afield. Not not like <laughs> not tangents that were not meaningful, mm-hmm. but connecting the stories to what's going on right now in culture. And um, yeah, so that's that's been something that I've really enjoyed about the radio show. Yeah, because I mean, I really love flight paths, and I feel like a lot of times when we have facilitated conversations around flight paths, like libraries or various different other groups, I feel like the, I mean, obviously all the conversations are are vastly different, but I think a lot of times it's like you play the flight paths chorus, like about like Gary in the 60s and 70s and like today and all of these different perspectives, and I think it's it's very introductory for a lot of different mm-hmm. people. Like they're like, wow, maybe I didn't realize that this was happening, or you know, they already have these beliefs that they hold about Gary. So it, it feels like I don't know the same sort of like beginnings of conversations that we typically have. So something that I was really excited about is I mean like I remember even my conversation with Reagan like Faith who worked at the Center for Civic Reflection had to like had to hold me back because I was getting a little combative (laughs) as a facilitator like you know trying to you know negate the pull yourself up by your bootstraps thing so this for me was like a perfect opportunity to like take the flight pass conversations you know away from the introductory and and dig a little bit deeper into into what they mean for the the region yeah yeah. but it's very intimidating I was like a radio show that sounds terrifying (laughs) like live you want to be live on the radio and now you're like give me that money yeah. <laughs> no I think it's good um, especially I was surprised when Willow told me about the radio show I kind of expected like almost a live 
I don't know why this was my thought process, but like a live facilitated conversation, which would have, which would and could have value. I'm not trying to negate that. But um, I think that this, like what Willow was talking about, being able to kind of go like have these conversations and go a little off the wall, like not allowed in facilitated conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has a lot of value and it's a, it's a, been a good format. I remember one episode we were talking about, um, it was a story about, um, the storyteller was writing a book about Gary and he was interviewing a lot of different people and their various different perspectives. And he used the metaphor of an elephant and he was like, these people, you know, especially like former like white residents of Gary, like have like one elephant's foot is what he would say, and they would feel like that's the entire story of Gary. But then you have the sort of like black and Latinx perspective of like you know what's happening in Gary and what had happened to Gary, and it's just like these people carry these different perspectives that are so true to their lived experience, but they can't really conceptualize that it's just one foot of the elephant and not the entire story of Gary. And I remember we took that metaphor. I think we just kept kept using that <laughs> metaphor like the entire show. Like let's just apply this to everything. Thing. But it was just, it was so true. It was such a useful metaphor. But I think that's when I think of like times that we've gotten a little far out there. <laughs> yeah, top 10, top 10 yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, what do you feel makes Welcome Project different from other like storytelling initiatives that you know of? I mean, one of our early ones that we loved was StoryCorps. And mm-hmm. it was in some ways a partial model for us in terms of people talking about their lived experience. Um, I mean, that's the powerful thing about that, right? It's, it's oh, this is these memories are really important to me, and I'm going to share them. And StoryCorps model is two people talking together. Uh, and we, we kind of, I think, inadvertently went with a more traditional oral history approach, which is an interviewer and an interviewee. You kind of dig deep. Um, and as we were, you know, year by year, I think our interviews went from uh, – I bet Vicky Lou's were probably 20-minute long interviews, and then we were doing 40-minute long interviews, and then suddenly it was an hour, and then it was like an hour 20, and then it was an, long ones were an hour 40, and then suddenly we were in an interview, and it was like two hours and 10 minutes, and and the interviewee was parched and like <laughs> exhausted, and we're like, okay, this is this we're getting to oral history here. Um, I, I mean, and that would actually be a whole nother step which is like multi-day multi-hour interviews where you I think one of the things that we found is sometimes people remember things after being interviewed because you've jogged their memory um, or remember things a little bit differently and uh, and we don't have that capacity yet except with Ruth Needleman who we haven't uh, edited that story yet but that was two times two hours each you know yeah She's a labor historian that's in Gary and has taught at um, IUN. Yeah. I'm not sure if she's still doing that or not. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I think... What else makes us different? I mean, um, I feel like this... I feel like we're always investigating something. So sometimes that could be really broad, like, when do you belong? But... Even that for us started in the context of a very specific place, Valparaiso University. So we were really trying to invest, use this storytelling method or interviewing method to investigate. And we're not researchers in the sense of wanting to be able to quantify what we're learning in a kind of data table. if anybody's out there that does that kind of work, we would love to have have you go through our archive. We have so much material that you could do, you could work on. Um, but that's not our disciplines. It's not our area of uh, skill. <laughs> um, but still, it's a qualitative method of investigation, and the same was true for the Invisible Project, and the same is true for for um, flight paths. So that's a little bit different than um, StoryCorps, which is, uh, like, its mission is just to, like, really grab the broad swath of American life. And then they do often have initiatives themselves, so they're trying to make sure that certain communities, like, whether it's military voices or LGBTQIA or black experience, et cetera, et cetera, um, so they do have categories, and you can kind of maybe see that there might be an investigation that sort of happens on the other end. But we were always a little bit more, we always had a question that was leading us into whatever we were doing. 
And uh, yeah, so I don't know if that makes us unique from all digital media projects or oral history projects out there, but. um, I also think we are really mindful that um, our project is not this, this one story about this thing. Mm -hmm. It's like a collection of voices and you learn more by listening to more. Um, So flight paths would not make sense if we just heard, you know, the one elephant foot to bring the elephant back in the room. (laughs) Uh, You you need to get at all of the pieces and start to kind of build a vision together. And so I think that, and it can be contentious, right? Um, And we're certainly finding that in terms of flight paths. Uh, But that's the I think that also marks a difference between some of the other projects which feel more like, oh, this individual story is sweet or lovely or important or valuable, and then this other one's different, and it is too sweet and lovely, and, but these are all connected. Mm-hmm. I also feel like it's it's more like storyteller-focused, like there's more of like an ethics behind the person telling the story and wanting to make sure that their story is told fully and that there's like care for them. I remember when we were in New Haven and there was, um, we were like doing a training about the Welcome Project and there was a journalism professor, I don't know if you guys remember, and they were like talking about like, oh, and then you get them to cry and then you take the camera and you zoom way in on their face so you can see that emotion. Yeah, you're like, absolutely not. (laughs) That is not what you do. You you actually, you turn the camera off. Yeah, that's what. Well, we haven't always, but. Or we we pause or, you know. Yeah, it's not about getting not that, about moment capturing that moment yeah. for the sake of the audience. Mm-hmm. It's about getting it right for the sake of the storyteller. That makes me think, though, Willow, um, that one of the things I've become more self-aware of is that um, because of who I'm often interviewing, so I'm pointing at myself here, but um, because of who I am and the experiences I have had or I haven't had, that often determines the questions that I ask. And so I really have become aware that um, that influences what stories come from the storyteller. So it's, it is still, an, I mean, I take the responsibility, the ethical responsibility very seriously, but I've also started to realize some of the limits that come with that. Um, so for what it's worth, I mean, just like it's, it would be wonderful if the storyteller was like the sole like uh, generator <laughs> of their own story. Um, and one of the other things we've wanted to do but never found a way to make feasible is to have the storyteller you know go back over the transcript of the interview and identify like you know what did they think when they see it that way and if they were, uh, wanting to show us things that they would like to see in the edited stories, um, that has not happened. That sort of participant decision-making process after the interview. And there are some people in the oral history community that are really working you know, in that direction, and we, have never, we haven't achieved that yet. Yeah, I think the closest we get is that uh, you know, we, we say, if you'd like to preview the clip before we air it you can give us you know you can basically restrict our permission to use it and we find usually about I don't know 25 percent of people decide they want that Um, and about 75 percent of people are like no I shared it you edit it (laughs) let's move on yeah yeah I mean people have entrusted us pretty like strangers sometimes um, which is amazing and we're very grateful for I wonder you brought up Allison the idea of like your effect on an interview, like when you're asking questions. And I wonder, like in the spirit of the Welcome Project in that it's a collection of a variety of different perspectives and voices, like, I don't know, like I just think it's really, like if I'm thinking of, like if I'm doing it, like it's so easy, you know, to interview uh, a black resident of Gary and being like, yeah, I hear you, I hear what's happening. And then it's so much more aggravating to, to hear somebody who's like, has the pull yourself up by your bootstraps perspective, like people who have been a part of white flight, like white residents of, of Valpo sometimes. And I wonder like how you kind of approach interviewing people who don't necessarily, who say some aggravating things during the interview. <laughs> Looking at Allison. Liz and I just exchanged glances. 
I mean, I... Okay, so... Uh, I feel like a type in this way. <laughs> I don't know if it's like a white woman type or if it's a just, just a gender thing, a very female type. Um, if I start to really listen to somebody and they're sharing their perspective and where their perspective comes from and I'm like starting to understand what f- forces and experiences shaped that perspective... Sometimes I feel like I become too generous or lenient. I don't know if lenient is the right word. Maybe too generous. in, And I start to just occupy that person's point of view. Which maybe for being an oral history interviewer, that's not a bad thing. Because it really is leaving things more in the hands of the storyteller, the person we're interviewing. Um, but I do feel like... Or I, I worry sometimes about... Uh, letting people get away with like what I find to be problematic thinking but it is I guess I do have to divide myself a little bit like and put that part of myself aside because the interview is a person who has agreed to meet with us and entrust us with their experiences so at that point it's not really my job to correct them in any way um and I think Liz was looking at me (laughs) with that funny look just because there was one interview (laughs) was it only one I only think of it as one interview that was certainly the one (laughs) (laughs) where I had a really hard time doing that but interestingly and he so just for listeners I mean he's a white man that grew up in Gary um and is living a socioeconomically like a is pretty well off now um and he's also a Christian or Catholic, if that matters, for his perspective and take on things. Um, I wonder, I'd have to go back and see where we started. Um, I think we did get his like upbringing, though, because mm-hmm. it was out in like Kansas or something like that. So I did get to know him a little bit, but he was also testing or pushing or, or wanting to be provocative in his yeah. statements. He did not mind that you were pushing back yeah, against so, what he was saying. So in some ways I was responding to him, but I, I don't know if that was good. I mean, I, I, I might say that you, you at one point went on like a six-minute rant. Um, uh, but yeah, he, he uh, did not mind actually. Yeah. I guess I guess <laughs> to be what, provoked. what is safe to say is that it was no longer a welcome project interview at that time. It was actually just a debate that the two of us were having, yeah. and we were both like happy to be having it. Well, I don't know if happy is the right word. We were both engaged in the debate, um, but it was no longer an interview. <laughs> I think there's also been a, like a progression. I, I'm I'm usually not the one interviewing. I get to throw in questions now now and again, but I'm behind the camera. And um, Allison, I feel like I've seen over time as we've learned so much more about the uh, the structures in place, both at a federal and state level, uh, and then the practices and policies in place. That I mean that we didn't know about a lot of that stuff with our first interviews on flight paths and now with all of that history and research and uh, wisdom that other people have shared with us I feel like there's just more a bigger sense which then in moments like that can turn into a little bit of ammunition right so yeah. it could just be that it's also getting harder to to say your your story is your story when you're not seeing these bigger picture mm-hmm. pieces of it mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, and I think what I aspire to is with the historical context that I now have, can I word a question in such a way that prompts the person whose belief system I might find problematic to think in a way that they haven't yet and then hear how they respond to that. So it's still a genuine question. I don't mean to imply that I'm trying to trip them up, but to actually ask them, like, I've heard this, how do you, like, how does that change how you think about this or not? Um, and so I'd like to get to that place as opposed to like a kind of like, that's, that's incorrect thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I do feel an increasing responsibility. I feel like to the residents of Gary, um, past and present, um, you know, to have the more full story out there, Mm. like the more people who've 
you've made relationships with, um, the more intense that responsibility feels. I always just think about it as like, this feels like when you're in an interview, it's like, this is the perfect time and place to talk about the larger scope of things. So it's just like, it's like, ideally you would do this, you know, very like general interview that just really lets the person tell their story and then be like, great, now here's your ticket to the civic reflection. And now we're going to talk about the full scope of things. Oh, I mean, what would be so amazing is if we could get all the people we've interviewed for flight paths into a, into a conversation. Excellent. Have you ever seen, there's videos on YouTube and it'll be like, uh, here's what a room of like cult survivors and they'll ask like opinions and then they have to go to like either side of the line and then like some (laughs) chosen people like share why they chose like that side of the line about the question. Mm. I just picture that. Oh, I see. Yeah. That would be a wild experience, I think. I mean, it would be potentially asking a lot um, from from some residents, and I don't think it's only divided by race, but um, because some people in that room would be uh, impacted more deeply by whatever conversation you know came out of that. But um, selfishly, it would be really interesting to see how people re- responded to a facilitated conversation. Now we've talked about that before. The idea of like, should we have? It's like a, like a similar thing in my mind. It's like having like gay people and straight Christian people in the same room, and then it's just like having the straight Christian people tell you their their views of like why they think this terrible thing about you as a gay person, and then it's just like that sucks for fifty percent of that room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like we need that. we need the straight Christian folks who are allies with the straight Christian mm-hmm. folks who are not. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's something I've always really admired about Welcome Project, too, is it allows people to share their stories while keeping them safe. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to be in the room mm-hmm. listening to people process their own isms, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really curious for the two of you, having been on the radio now and uh, having this longer time, like Willow, you were saying you wanted to dive deeper into some of these conversations. What has it felt like to have this time? I don't know. I think it's it's really nice to sort of... I don't know. I, I, I think of it as more of like creating space for these deeper conversations because like Alice and I have talked before, but I think this really gives like us like dedicated space to really dive deep into some of these stories and so I think it's it's still sort of the same it's just kind of like breaking the surface level of some of the themes that come out of the stories and so for me it's been really valuable to I don't know like hear more and and say more things like from my perspective that I didn't know I was thinking but then also to hear from Allison and I feel like most of the time when I when I'm like talking to Allison I'm like oh yeah I feel you I feel you I feel you I'm right there but I love that we get a little bit deeper and I'm like whoa okay I don't know if I would go that far (laughs) Allison (laughs) so I think that's kind of been fun to sort of to sort of uh talk through but yeah no I've just really enjoyed um getting to talk about the story because I also love the stories mm-hmm. so just getting to talk about them more is always a treat mm-hmm. yeah I'm gonna be more selfish I find it really like energizing like I love being a part of like the project you guys do I think it's like really admirable and wonderful and I miss it since I am no longer in college and it's just energizing to be in a room and like have these like deeper conversations and to know that everyone in the room means well. I feel like that's a really rare experience. So I really appreciate being able to recreate that. Yeah, and I I think, Reagan, having you with Willow and I is helpful too because um, it increases, you know, the dynamic. And um, I also love the generational difference, (laughs) like, which is um, coming out a bit more. I think now that I have two... I don't, you're not even millennials, you're like Gen, Gen Zers. Yeah, we're old Gen Zers, the elder Gen Zs. Now that I have the elder Gen Zs, two against one, it's pretty cool for thinking about how, like when we were born and what experiences we had in that sense of history have uh, shaped our like perspectives on these things. So, wow, that's it for today. Um, thanks for listening. And thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com and at 108 East Lincoln Way in Valparaiso. 
We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And if you enjoyed the conversation today, learning a little bit more about the Welcome Project, you can find our stories online at welcomeproject.balbo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to start a conversation with us, uh, help us out on the Welcome Project. Oh my goodness, that would be incredible. Uh, you can email us at welcomeprojectradio at gmail.com. <laughs>